0: Thank you for joining us today on Geezers of Gear, episode 64. Today's podcast is brought to you by ACT Lighting. ACT is North America's leading distributor and manufacturer of entertainment technology products with award-winning brands including MA Lighting, Ayrton, Chainmaster, AC Power, Robert Juliet, and MDG, as well as cable and interconnect solutions for virtually any audio, video, data or power distribution need from Rapco Horizon, Proco, and Roadhog. The much-anticipated MA Lighting Grand MA3 software is coming very soon to a console near you. The new software features an entirely new phasers engine for dynamic looks, 3D selection arrangements, a built-in visualizer, and more. MA lighting and the entire team at act couldn't be more excited to see what you will make with it and where the new software platform takes us all for years to come act employs over 600 team members who are each dedicated to providing exemplary service and support and ensuring the show goes on by maintaining inventory and 24, 7, 365 technical expertise in nine locations throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. For more information, visit actlighting.com. I don't know why, but I keep envisioning you going, yeah. And who was it? It was you and somebody else who did it at the same time with like the real uh, fluffy voice. I, I think so. You
1: know, I'm not, I'm not vocal worthy today, not even remotely. Oh, because it was. Still
0: sur- it was you and Patrick Dearson. That's who it was <laughs> when you went, yeah. <laughs> Both at the same time, and I was like, "What the heck is going on here, guys?" I was cracking up.
1: That was pretty funny. Yes, it
0: was. Yes, it was. So episode 64 here, geezers of gear. Thank you all for joining us. And, um, Henry, as he was just mentioning before I so rudely interrupted him, he's sick. I'm sick. Uh, half the company, half the world appears to be sick. It's this crazy flu slash cold thing. So if we're talking with our sexy Barry white voices, it's not on purpose. I promise. So, um, speaking I don't
1: know what kind of germs they have out in las vegas but you always get it when you go there on the yeah. show. it's
0: wild well you know what it's it's the most um contagious bug i think i've ever had because like everyone i come in contact with i'm mm-hmm. making sick i feel so bad like you know friends and family and whoever they're all like you know going through the exact same thing i am and it's it's the weirdest sickness because it starts out like this it goes to this it goes to this and it's almost identical for everyone who has it so it's just been really bizarre but anyways speaking uh speaking of ldi and getting back from ldi and us still having a bit of a hangover from ldi so for us geezers of gear it was a wildly successful show i would say i think and, so and uh, on on both fronts so both from our own uh you know podcasts that we were recording from the room uh just behind uh registration there thank you very much to live design for cooperating and helping us out with that but um so we had some great episodes i think it was seven total from that location we did 10 complete uh podcasts at this year's ldi And so seven from there and then three from the Martin booth. And so that was wildly successful. We've been talking with uh, the folks at Harmon, the marketing folks at Harman, and they were just so happy with everything that happened there. And, um, you know, to a point where we're talking about doing some more things with them uh, at future trade shows or whatever. So that was a lot of fun, and and the three episodes we did on the Martin Booth, I think, were probably, uh, in their own right, the three most memorable. They're certainly the yeah. three most heavily downloaded, and those three being the um, sort of review and, and rediscovery and memories of the 24-year-ago uh, Martin Booth in 1995 in uh, Miami Beach, but then... Um, Probably, I don't know, I, I was going to say my favorite, but I think all three of those were my favorite. But certainly from a learning standpoint, um, sitting and talking to Bob Barnhart and, and uh, Jeff yeah. Ravitz and um, Tiffany, that was just, you know, sort of a pinch me moment because these are, these are some huge people in, in that uh, live events for TV market or world. Um, and we got to sit there and talk to them for an hour and a half. So that was outrageous. And, you know, we've made, uh, some friends, some new friends in, uh, Tiffany and Bob, both of us, I think meeting for the first time there, right, Henry, I don't think you knew them beforehand. You know, of course I I knew of Bob and I think I had provided product to Bob before for, for shows, but I never had a direct relationship with him. So super nice guy, you know, obviously incredibly talented and knowledgeable. So that was, amazing
1: yeah very natural podcast that you know the last two podcasts well actually you know every one we did from the harman booth just was butter smooth not a lot of effort just a very you know dynamic guests offering a yeah. lot of things like that and made the podcast super easy right?
0: and i mean as weird as it was you know sitting there at the trade show talking away and i think the first day we just had the headphones out and people were a little weird walking up going what the hell is going on here mm-hmm. why are these people talking to themselves and um, the second day, somebody at Harmon decided to put a speaker up front, and that just started attracting crowds. So then we had crowds of people standing for the entire podcast both days. It was crazy. Yeah, and, that was a little
1: weird for, for somebody that doesn't like fame like me, right? I was just yeah. like, wow, or being videoed, right? Having the actual, uh, some of the Harmon people, their media people come in, right. video the, the show. That was trippy. Yeah, yes. and,
0: you know, the Patrick Dearson one was, was awesome. I mean, I love Patrick anyways, mm-hmm. but... Um, it was funny because at one point, remember we, we kidnapped Greg Jones from, from Martin sure, and brought him on the podcast. And, and, uh, we spent the first 10 minutes talking about guns and, and Greg goes, pardon me guys, but did I walk into the geezers of guns podcast, <laughs> which was kind of funny. And, and Greg actually ended up being a lot of fun, but you know, Patrick's mm-hmm. just such a, uh, character and a personality and you know i mean the stories he told jesus i had no idea this collecting money for the mafia and some secret (laughs) freaking you know military function that he had and i had no idea about any of that stuff i thought he was just like the rest of us and just kind of fell into the lighting business at a young age and that was that right the stuff urban legends are made out of right so there you go crazy 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 So, yeah, I mean, all in all, I would say that uh, and, you know, also I want to mention, which we've talked about before, but I'm I'm positive now that this was the best LDI they've ever done from a standpoint of uh, all kinds of things. I mean, I just think they really returned to their glory at this show where not only was there great new product, but it it just seemed like the events in general and it was just an awesome show. And so many people I talked to said it was the best one ever. So. Heavy on
1: quality, that's for sure. I was talking to De- uh, Deanna from Chauvet yesterday, and you know, she said, you know, uh, big crush of people on Friday, a little lighter on 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 Saturday, but they also said that the quality of the attendees showed up, you know, showed up, and the quality of new products actually are the, you know, also was there, right? So they yeah. were just were not a ton of me too products. Right. So overall, for people that walked the show, yeah, it was awesome, you know. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was really really a good show and. You know, again, product, I mean, uh, you know, I have no preference on moving light brands or anything. Certainly there are some who sponsor our podcast and we're very grateful, including act and and, uh, um, elation and, but, but, you know, I mean, the SGM booth was awesome. Some of the new product Mm -hmm. at the SGM booth, like that beast thing, again, just cool, different wrinkle on things looks very, very different and unique. Um I'm a big fan of the new high end stuff that that Richard has created the sola whatever it's called and sola Pix, maybe yeah. turbo ray. Yeah. Um yeah I mean if you just you know I don't even want to get into it but if you compare the turbo ray to another product that came out featuring some fins uh in the front <laughs> uh there's just no comparison the turbo ray looked cool as hell the other one looked like they just threw those fins in there to kind of go we got them too um yeah. and it just to me didn't look like that great of a product but i'm sure it is i'm sure it's amazing they have loads of of excellent history and and technology and everything else but um so yeah i mean i just think in general like uh chauvet's booth was cool their stuff was cool Robet's booth uh, you know was outrageous i mean Roby is like you know obviously flexing their muscles at this point and going, we're the biggest, we're the baddest. Mm-hmm. And so their booth, their, their show was crazy. I didn't actually get to see the whole thing, but I've seen videos of it now since the show. Cause of course you and I had no time at all to walk the show. Yeah. And, um, uh, Ayrton's, uh, the Ayrton part of the act lighting booth, I thought was very tastefully done. Not the biggest booth, but very, very nice really showed the product well um you know again clay Packy, we can't talk about the laser fixture enough the Stelos, but looked amazing their show was nice uh you know just i Good thought it's a product in yeah. in general the show from a moving light standpoint especially was back to its glory for sure mm-hmm. so, absolutely yeah really product, nice
1: right yeah so absolutely
0: i just right. wish we had you know one extra day or or you know i don't know maybe we talk less and get a little more time to do <laughs> more walking around the show but it, it it definitely did not uh we didn't have enough time at the end of the, the last, day to what
1: the last podcast went almost two hours right so we yeah had 60 minute show went two hours cause we were just having such a great time so. well
0: and i literally had to pack my my box of podcast stuff and run to the airport so, you know, zero time after that last podcast to do anything ex- except pack and go. And uh so yeah, thanks to all who took part. Thanks uh you know, we've had two record weeks of of traffic and downloads for our podcast. I mean, we've grown immensely just in the last two weeks alone, and we appreciate everyone paying attention. We appreciate all the positive comments and compliments we got. Um you know, so many people coming up and saying, "Hey, I want to be on the podcast." And uh, we appreciate all of it. I mean, Henry and I are both going through kind of pinch me moments every week where it's like, you know we're so lucky and and happy and fortunate that we get to do what we're doing right now. And uh, thanks for giving a damn
1: absolutely. So on to a little bit of product news, a bit outside the box, and it's kind of funny, right? I saw this uh, when I was shopping for Christmas presents. There is a magnetic levitation turntable and it's called the ML-1 or the Maglev-1 and I watched the reviews on it. And um, you know, this thing is pretty cool. It basically, the actual turntable itself floats magnetically over the top of a turntable, uh, over the actual turntable base and they have a really high quality arm on it. It looks cool as, as all get out. It has uh, It's lit with LEDs on the bottom. So for those people that are still spinning vinyl, want to spend uh three thousand dollars for a turntable this would be the one but I, I i saw it i was gonna go out ah, you know i'll get marcel that for christmas and then i saw the price and i went you know that exceeded my twenty dollar budget yeah. You marcel
0: so. yeah well and plus that probably would have been right up there with the acdc cycling shirt that exactly still hangs in a closet now, somewhere <laughs> so. uh yet i still won't wear it it's amazing it's pretty funny <laughs> but um, i mean the problem with that turntable is i'd have nothing to plug it into because all i've got in my house anymore is like these sonos things that yeah. you know are just the most convenient music listening device there is and uh so yeah it's like somebody sent me their whole um remastered digitally you know uh cd series cd set a uh, friend of mine actually the guy who does our uh our intro um gato mm-hmm sent me his remastered cd catalog and i'm like but greg i can't listen to him i don't have a cd player anywhere like not in any of my computers nowhere no car nothing so uh yeah
1: but anyways thanks
0: thanks for the thought henry i really do appreciate
1: it there you go um there's a bus manufacturer out there called beat the street and i picked this off of Polestar uh today but um beat the street imported 20 double-decker buses from europe so now you know while oh, are these the
0: two-layer bus- uh tour buses yeah oh, yeah, and yeah. It's,
1: it, it's kind of interesting because you know they, they come in uh i think they hold 12 or 16 crew members like in an upstairs um area for where the bunks are but what it does it expands uh the lounge areas uh for the cruise so you know you can cruise with your feet up you know you can surf the internet and stuff like that, which I thought was really cool. Anybody that's been on a tour bus before, you know, with a a decent number of people know that it gets pretty jammed up the front and the rear lounges are, are pretty tight. And then you, you know, you have the bunks in the middle. So, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting, I guess, innovation and quite an obvious one. This, this company beat the street has always done the double decker, you know, tourist buses for driving around cities and cross country stuff. But now they've made an entree into the, uh, into the uh, you know crew bus, for lack of a better term, right, um, right. area. So it's uh, 16 and 14 bunk configurations, and it's made by a company called Van Huel, which is the supplier of these things. It's not Prevost, interestingly. Uh, they are doing a single-decker Prevost version also um, for touring purposes. Are
0: there any in the U.S. yet?
1: Uh, there's set to be, there's 20 of them. They're being outfitted right now, and interestingly enough, there's a huge... Bus outfitter in Florida here, yeah. And it's kind of interesting where the picture of these buses are parked. I'm sitting there going, I think that's the one I drive past out here in Claremont every day. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah I remember what was what's that uh, something coaches? Is... Oh, I can't remember because I actually had to rent a tour bus at one point, and and uh, one of the big touring uh, bus companies is in Central Florida. I can't remember the name of the company.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um
0: there, you're scrambling so anyway, looking for tw- the name. Twenty double deckers <laughs> hitting the, you
1: know, they're they're just wrapping up the living rooms in these things and you know, there you go. So, you know, obviously I think we beat to death all of the new product introductions that LDI. There's uh some quite extensive, you know, uh post show reviews of all the cool products. So for those of you that, you know, didn't get to LDI, you can go on to some of the trades and read those things and and you'll get, uh, you know, you'll get at least a flavor of all the cool stuff booth by booth by booth. There was quite an extensive article on that.
0: Yeah. Um, um, you mean the Nook PLSN article? Yeah. yeah correct. The yeah. Nook yeah. Yeah. I read article. that. I read that. There's some good stuff in there. And, yeah, you know, Nook, Nook is, uh, he's just got such an interesting spin on on a lot of these new products and stuff. So I love reading his stuff. Um, you know, one thing that I talked with uh, Glenn from uh, M.A. Lighting, who was actually going to come on the podcast at the show, but I think we ran out of space and time for him. But um, I talked with him and uh, Ben Saltzman from Act Lighting as well, and both of them did confirm to me, so I hope I'm not dropping any bombs, but that within moments of the show, within a couple of weeks of, of getting back, Um, they were actually doing a full release of uh, the MA3 software version one, basically. And um, so, you know, there were two things. One, they wanted any last minute feedback from the show because they were running full version one software at the show. But secondly, most of their engineers, I guess, were at the show talking with users and helping to show the product. And so, you know, they had to get everybody back home again and and ready to support this thing. So, um, but it does sound like finally, you know, what is it, a year and a half, almost two years in after the Mm -hmm. launch of MA3, um, we are going to see full MA3 software running on these consoles, which, you know, I think you're finally going to see what this thing's really about because it's a beast. I mean, it is a powerful beast of a console, so...
1: It's going to be interesting to see, and we wish to ask Ben this, how many lines of code did it take to get oh, the core software built? I bet you it's in the 30 million lines
0: of code range, a something bunch. like that, right? You yeah, know? like $65,000 worth of lines of code <laughs> or whatever it is, 70. I don't even know the price of the thing. It's a lot of money, but um, yeah, just a massive amount of software. And some of the new stuff they've got, and I don't even want to talk about it because I'm certainly no expert, but... Uh, uh, you know, I got a, a sort of five minute overview on it, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how far this stuff has come." Absolutely.
1: So, you know, on the touring end of things, uh, you know, we were talking a lot about the festival market over in England a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, Edinburgh Rocks um, <clears throat> is an area, obviously, over in England, and they're just breaking ground on an you know eight thousand seat indoor arena. So, I mean, festival and concert market you know, arena market remains amazingly strong over in the UK. And it's kind of interesting that they just unveiled these plans now to, uh, you know, to get that rolling. So I thought that was a pretty cool nugget of information mm-hmm. to share. And let's see. And lastly, obviously, it's at some point in one of our podcasts, and no, we didn't have time to listen to all 60 articles, but we did talk about uh, Motley Crue at some point, about the rumor of them going back out on the road. So now this is confirmed for April of 2020 that uh motley Crue and poison and Def leopard i believe are all going to tour together again so. correct
0: yeah and i don't know if it's all stadiums or just some stadiums but i know they're doing some stadium shows on that tour um uh you know jury's out for me uh, like i i've got mixed feelings you know yeah it's great anytime a, a rock and roll tour goes out and especially when it gets bigger and I'm a huge fan of of everything Def Leppard has done right since the beginning of their career until Absolutely, right now. Yeah. They've never jumped the shark, they've never sold out. You know, they're just out there one of the hardest working bands, them and sticks, you know, perennially mm-hmm. they're out every year, they're constantly touring. They keep themselves in good shape, they keep themselves they keep their talent levels very high and you know the fact that Phil collin goes out there every night with his shirt off and he's like 61 years old or whatever and the guy's got abs you know got a six pack um they're just a remarkable uh workhorse of a band and i think that uh that Joe Elliott's voice sounds as good if not better than it has in many many years if not ever um he's, he can't hit some of the high high notes that he used to i guess but but you know, then you look at Motley Crue, and I mean, to me, Vince Neil is not ready to go out on tour. I mean, he tours his uh, him, himself as a as a solo, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, you see some of those videos where they're they're putting the lyrics on the videos. Have you ever seen any of these? No. I like, there's one for "Go to Kickstart My Heart" with uh, I don't think they call it with lyrics, but look look it up on YouTube. "Kickstart My Heart," Vince Neil. Um, and what they're doing is they're, they're basically putting like phonetic lyrics up. Like, what does it sound like? And it's just a bunch (laughs) of wacky made up words. And, and, you know, because he's not finishing sentences, he's doing the stuff that David Lee Roth has been doing for the last 15 years, you know? And it's just like, I mean, the guy's got to lose 40 pounds and, and really work, on sustaining his vocal cords, if they're gonna go out and tour and charge big money and do stadiums. So that's part one that I don't like so much. Like, I think the rest of the band can go out and sound pretty good. I mean, Mick Mars, I'm amazed that he is up for, physically up for another tour because he could hardly stand up during the last one. He's got real health problems. You know, Nikki and Tommy could do it until the day they drop. I mean, they yeah. Nikki, I think, just got all new knees and shoulders and stuff. He's he's, <laughs> uh, you know, the six million dollar man rebuilt. Went to um, the body shop. <laughs> but part two of my sort of, you know, frustration or discontent or whatever you want to call it with this topic is that they made a deal with fans. They actually made a contract with fans. They went out of their way to do a big, you know uh press release and press conference and signed this contract saying, you know, we'll never tour again. And here they are ripping up the contract and touring again. Why? Because I guess the money got big enough. And, you know, they're claiming that it's because they've created all these new fans through the movie The Dirt. Um I don't know. Like to me, it's just greed. It's just, you know, and it's I understand greed. But then don't make a contract with your fans, who some of these may have saved up for six months to go out and see the final show of Motley Crue, and you know. So I know I'm, I'm kind of, you know, giving them shit for this when so many bands before them have done it, and you pointed out one of them,
1: Ozzy, right? Yeah, Ozzy. What's it called? Uh, the No More Tours Tour Two.
0: No More <laughs> Stay- Tours <laughs> Two. You know, two. so how, yeah. how is there a two on that? If it's no more tours, it's no more tours, right? And so, you know, we all know, like, I mean, it happens to boxers. It happens to uh, all kinds of people who retire and then come back. Hockey players, football players, you know, because that lure is always there. And, you know, you never want to say I'm too old to do it anymore, or I'm too fat in some of these guys' cases, or I'm too, you know, I can't sing anymore, I can't play anymore, I'm unfit, or, you know, you never want to admit that, that it really is over for you in a lot of people, but I don't know, like... I don't like. You know, it. for
1: me, I have an incredibly short attention span. So being able to see three '80s bands that I all love in one shot, hey, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> there you go. You know, yeah, but I bet you don't go.
1: Um, uh, probably not. <laughs> exactly. Just, just, just saying. You know? Yeah. But, uh, exactly. I'll watch it on the DVD. I still have one of those players. You yeah. Know? And I don't last, know. You know, one footnote on the Ozzy thing. You sent me that Post Malone video. Yeah. You know, and I had never seen. I don't follow Post Malone, right? So I'd never yeah. seen him, and I looked at him, and I'm like wow, that's Dave Batista's twin separated at <laughs> birth. And, you know, <laughs> you know Drax funny. from Guardians of the Galaxy, this guy looks like Drax walking around, right? Yeah. You know, he's kind of all scruffed up. I'm sitting there going, holy cow. He is so maybe massive right maybe
0: now. Post Malone is yeah. massive. Like, I mean, I don't get it. You know, I've listened to all of his stuff because it's all my son Jeremy listens to. He loves Post Malone, as does every 15-year-old kid at this point. But, um. You know, it's interesting this crossover thing where you've got a guy what's Ozzy now 70, 71. Probably he's 68 I think. Yeah. You know, and a rocks rock a rock guy from the early heavy metal days with Black Sabbath and stuff. You've got him doing a live performance with Post Malone who's, mm-hmm. you know, arguably the hottest artist out there right now in his 20s or whatever. And uh, and it works. I mean, that song is actually a really cool song. And, you know, it's just Ozzy looks a little silly standing up there doing the wave thing back and forth, you know, mm-hmm. during the music awards. And I think half the audience is going, who the hell is that old dude over there? And, yeah. uh, and the other half kind of got it, you know, understood. But what it did, I, I actually read an interview with Ozzy and he said, you know, I love Post Malone in part because this guy got me off my ass. You know, I was laying around waiting to die. I was sick. I was not feeling well. I was in bed all day. I wasn't recording. I wasn't writing. I wasn't working. I was done basically. I was waiting to die, and I get this call to do this thing, and I did it. And now I've got energy, and I'm I did a new album, and I'm gonna do some more shows. And you know, uh, he got me off my ass, and and may have saved my life.
2: Yeah, so, I mean was, that's kind of cool. Listening-
1: I was listening to Nazi uh interview the other day on SiriusXM, XM. And, you know, what he says is basically they, the guy that was interviewing him says, you know, if you're in a band and you, you hit, you know, what what continues to make you successful? And he goes, you need to record as much shit as you possibly can. He goes, because if you have a hit album out, three or four songs out, the songs run out in a show. So yeah, he just keep on writing everything down and record, 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 record. So,
0: yeah, kind of makes, interesting.
1: I think they were talking about his box set release that has those 31 yeah. albums on vinyl. So, it was pretty, pretty cool, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes sense. So, next week, Henry, we have uh Nils on, and um, you know, for those who don't know him, which you know, again, you must be crawling out right now from a rock, but. Um, Nils created Flying Pig, or I don't want to overspeak. I don't remember exactly what his role was. It was a partnership. But Nils was very much involved in the creation and, and launch of Flying Pig Systems and the Whole Hog 1, the Whole Hog 2, et cetera. And um, when he sold that company or they sold that company, he went on and, and uh, of course, started another highly Ooh, successful company exactly. in Element Labs. And, uh, you know, the VersaTube was the first of its kind. The, uh, I forget what the screen was called, but yeah, the stealth screen was the first of its kind. And so Nils is just an innovator, you know, beyond, I can't think of very many people. I mean, there's a handful again, it's him, it's Richard Bellevue. It's the usual bandits out there who are uh, the guys who are creating the real, you know, game-changing products and ideas and who have the cojones to, to go out and invest their own time and money and energy into building these things. And, you know, when you think about the whole hog, it was the first console that wasn't in a, you know, whose dick is bigger battle with the audio console, right? Right. And, cause it, that's what, you know, the front of house battle was always who had the bigger console, the lighting guy or the sound guy. And then this little hog two comes out and everybody's like, wait, I feel so insignificant. And, uh, and so it took a lot of courage to really, really disrupt, um, you know, the AVO, whatever, QM 500, AVO diamond, the yeah. big AVO consoles that were out there. And we actually talked a little bit with Steve Warren about that cause it broadsided him. He didn't see it coming. Right. And so, um, so you know i really really appreciate what nils has done and then here he is again launching this drone show stuff and i think he's created the software and stuff or his team has created the software behind it right behind doing the drone shows
1: they were explaining that uh, to me because i did spend some time on that booth for sure how they yeah control the drones a little bit we'll talk about a little bit about that next week but i thought that it was a mesh network and it's not right yeah that was it no, very, it's crazy.
0: Like, cool. And, and, you know, for those who are at LDI, you saw the drone show that he did, or hopefully you saw it. I unfortunately didn't because again, I was too freaking busy, but, um, I've seen videos of it, of course, and it was awesome. So we've got Nils coming on next week, and that's going to be super interesting to talk about that and hear, you know, just his story and how he keeps hitting with these You know, super disruptive concepts and ideas, and uh, Nils is just one of those guys. He changes the world, you know, and I love that about him. Yeah, he's very
1: cerebral. When he, when you know, if you ever sit down and have a conversation with him, he is he his his thoughts are very, very well thought out. So yeah, you know, we'll get into his mind a little bit next week and talk about the Nils Thorjensen think tank. You know, yeah, say that absolutely fast.
0: So who do we have today, Henry?
1: We have world famous lighting designer steve
0: owens and um super nice guy extraordinaire
1: absolutely for one sure. of those
0: guys you know i always uh uh for a barometer you know i'll go to my buddy john wiseman and say what do you think of this guy and i think steve is probably on on uh, john's top 10 list you know what i mean like he's, he's absolutely right, right there well, in that sort of core group of guys
1: well, I mean, during the John Wiseman Steel Breeze days, right? Steve Owens was right there. So they used to live together in um, Agora Hills. So I'm looking forward to some stories like that. I, but I, I pity mean, the like, foo.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, uh, Steve Owens, right? Psychedelic furs, foreign or doobie brother, journey, Ario Speedwagon, the cult. I mean, just the, the resume is giant here. Um, I'm sure we we'll get some...
0: Uh, stories very, very very good stories out of yeah him. yeah we're gonna you have know. to work them on that one all right well let's sure. go ahead and bring them on
2: hi steve owens
0: steve owens. Hi, steve owens it's marcel and henry geezers of gear how are you
2: i'm good how are you guys
0: we are fan fantastic we're freezing to death in florida so uh you know oh. Hashtag pray for florida because it's like 50 <laughs> degrees out here
2: wow it's warmer here in nashville than it is uh
0: that's crazy that yeah is crazy. it is that is crazy what's this thing called one of those bomb cyclones or something yeah, that hit the
1: over vortex i think that's something
0: what it's called. they got all these <laughs> fancy names now when we were kids growing up walking both ways to school uphill you know all that stuff it was uh it was just called a snowstorm (laughs) you know
2: exactly yeah
0: now they got polar vortex and bomb cyclones and all these fancy names that i just don't even understand what the hell is going on anymore so so everything
2: is a technical term
0: yes (laughs) yeah thank you so much for joining us steve um you know you're a you're a guy that we've been wanting to get on for a while john Wiseman actually prompted us you were on his list of guys that we absolutely needed to call and make sure we got on the program so um yeah i mean uh, you know you've been around a while you've done a lot of cool things we're hoping you've got some fun stories where uh uh you know we can have a good laugh at some of our mutual friends and um (laughs) and you know learn a little bit about what you've done and what you're doing and and that kind of thing so uh yeah Yes. So, I mean, one of the things, I guess, to get started, one of the things that is always, um, you know, seems to be a line between a lot of people in our industry, especially people of, you know, my age, your age, Henry's age, you know, I think we're all relatively similar, is that um, people typically fell into this business, and, and I, I don't know if you did or not, so I could be setting myself up for failure here, but you know, a, a lot of times people did not study, did not, you know, from the age of 10 years old, go, I'm going to go out and be a touring lighting guy. Um, it just kind of happened in a very weird way. And so what's your story?
2: Well, uh, let's see here. How did I start? I was living in Chicago. That's where I grew up. Uh, and a friend of mine, uh, was a runner for a promoter in Chicago, which happened to be celebration flip side at that time. And there was jam there also, but he was a runner and he had quit his position. Uh, and I fell into that runner position. Hmm. Uh, so along. How uh, he just, he I just want... called you up
0: and said, Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. And why don't you go take this? Yeah. Game?
2: Do you want do you, do you want this gig? Yeah. So I said, "Sure, I'll try it because I had a vehicle, so I would run around and, you know, get this and go drop laundry and go to the grocery store and all that stuff."
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, as runners normally do. So I did this for about a year, and I kept noticing uh, with different bands the same road crews coming through doing different bands. So it sparked my interest upon how do I get into this business? Mm-hmm. And I just happened to, uh, to find out that there was a company down in Dallas called Shoco. Mm-hmm. And these guys worked for Shoko. So what I did was I applied down in Dallas. And uh, about a year later, uh, I get a phone call from Shoko saying they'll keep the job open. Uh, if I want to come down and apply, and once I get down there, uh, we'll see how it works out. So, so Steve, this is, Steve we, this is about what yeah,
1: 1970, 1976 or so is when you when you first got your start. So you're running what in about nineteen seventy five, I guess, correct? Out of high school. Yeah, yes,
2: yeah, that's about right. That's the time period. Way back when. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's see. And so I went down to Dallas. And I got hired uh, by Shoko. Because
0: you are so wildly I experienced had, now with a year of this uh, running, uh, <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, based on this industry, a, it's funny, you know, where experience uh, you, came from.
2: Yeah. And, and I mean, the real, you know, I had no idea about lighting yeah. at that time point of my career, you know, because I didn't have one. So I was going, wow, this is going to be cool. Yeah. So I went down, went down there. And uh, sure enough, I had to work as, back in the day, Shoko uh, had their own crew vans at that time period. They would haul their crews around. In. Mm-hmm. So I ended up being one of those van drivers for the first tour um, and carrying the crew around from gig to gig because tour buses were not really that readily available mm-hmm. for Shoko guys. So, I did that for one tour, and the next thing you know, I am actually out on the road as uh, with Gary Carnes uh, with the OJ's way back in wow. the day. So, so my first gig was out with the OJ's, uh, and Gary Carnes being the uh, lighting designer for the OJ's. Wow. So, you know, you just go around and set up the the gear back then, which was like vermits and all all this old cumbersome. Uh, I guess it was single-hung uh, trusses, uh, Altman, and it was all steel. So, you know, back in the day when there were no multi-cables, uh, um, good times. it was all 12 and two-fers, color-coded, you know. So, yeah, so that was basically how I got started. And I stuck with Shoko for about four years, I think it was.
0: um it's amazing to me how many people came through shoko like you know when you talk to again anyone sort of in that like 50 to 65 year old uh range most of them came through that company so many people did
2: well i believe there were only two companies at that time it was either shoko or c-factor yeah yeah totally true Uh, out of new york so, I mean, if you wanted experience, that's where you had to go get it. Yeah. Um, and I remember prior to the Shoco ordeal, when I went down there and started working for them, I grew up in Chicago, and there's a small company in Outgrow Village called Upstage. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> Still a small so company. I, uh, eat, right? Yeah. 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 So I went, uh, I went up there and applied one time. And they said, we're sorry, but we only take experienced uh, people. So uh, you don't have any experience, so we won't hire you. So that being said, after my Shoko days, but I went through quite a few bands with Shoko. You know, it was like Rolling Stones and uh, Stephen Stills. Uh,
0: Always as a driver, Arios-
2: though? No, no. So, so how did that uh, happen? Only how, the first tour.
0: How how'd you uh, transition?
2: Uh, I guess I was lucky because they needed someone to go on the road. That was the Gary Carnes uh, oh. time period.
0: So what was so your I role did, with Gary Carnes?
2: Uh, I was just a uh, just a tech, you know, okay. just a standard lighting roadie. Yeah, that would do it all: dimmers and trusses and all that. Yeah. Um, so the first thing I did, you know, with that crew van, that was like, God, I don't even want to remember those days, but, uh, (laughs) that was, (laughs) that was, uh, I guess in 76 was the crew van. And after that, it all fell into play with working for Shoko in the lighting department. Right. So you were a shop guy for a while and then, uh, you started going out on tours. So, hey. uh, and,
0: and so you just kind ahead. of uh, over time, you just, you know, worked your way through that lighting crew, um, to different positions and, and at some points ended up on the console, I guess. Right.
2: Uh, yes. Uh, unfortunately I didn't get a chance at the console when I was with Shoko or with upstaging. Oh, cause when I left, when I left Shoko, uh I went back to Chicago and uh I applied at Upstaging and they hired me because I had experience. Ah.
0: Interesting.
2: So I worked with up, yeah, I worked with Upstaging for I guess it was like 3 years. The, and the commute
0: was a little shorter, I guess, huh?
2: Yeah, it was a lot shorter. <laughs> <laughs> but the weather was terrible.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And
2: uh, so
0: and so they weren't and even in they weren't even in Mundeline at that point. They were they were still in Elk Grove. Yes. Yeah, that's
2: right. Interesting. And so what we did, what I ended up doing. Go ahead.
1: So Steve, just a just a quick thing here. Who showed you? How, you know, so you're driving a van, and now you're staring at the back of the dimmer rack, which I would imagine is all kind of stage pin connectors and things like that. And you're carrying 12-3 cable around. Who showed you how to plug all that stuff up, or can you can you talk a little bit about your learning experiences? how you kind of, what was the uptake on
2: that, you know? Uh, I, think, uh, I think that when I was learning to put together lighting rigs, it was just, just do or die, you know? It's, uh, they had a couple guys on the crew, so it wasn't a small crew, and they'd show you what you had to do. And, of course, uh, in the beginning, there was a lot of teasing going on. So they tried to get you to take a four pin and plug it into a three pin and see <laughs> if you could do it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's great. You know, there's a lot of that camaraderie. Uh, a lot of the uh, back in the day, I guess you would call it freshman and senior teasing going on. You know, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was learning by hard knocks. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, and trying to figure everything out.
0: Yeah, all all very so, different than today, which will will evolve into as we as this conversation goes on. But um, right. definitely more of a more of a Yahoo mentality. You know, let's just wing it and figure it out, right?
2: That's it, because back then there really wasn't anybody that knew the business, right? Other than the crews that were already employed. Yeah. So there was no school for it or any of that.
0: Yeah, we have so this you just went out to- We have this conversation so often, you know, where it's just, you know, I mean just learning by trying, you know, and and really like most of the people of this generation that we're talking about created this industry, not not just the lighting side of it, but the audio side of it as well. And all of the things that have become what we are today really started around Am I wrong here, Henry, like started really in the 70s for the most part, uh, you know, from a trussing.
1: Early 70s, mid
0: 70s. Yeah. yeah, You know, from flying trussing systems as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, all ground supported and um, just the way that sound systems have evolved and everything. The 70s really is where it all began, this industry, the touring industry.
2: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So the flying of lighting rigs was something totally new also, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, so when did that happen for you? When do you remember kind of going from ground supported to a flown rig? uh,
2: Let's see. I believe that was around 78 or 79. Yeah. Because I remember working in, let's see here. I remember working in the shop down at Shoco and we were prepping a rig for the Bee Gees and every nut and bolt and everything on the Bee Gees tour was taken outside, sandblasted, all the part cans were sandblasted Uh, and then they were taken and chromed. So having a lighting system for the Bee Gees at that time, uh, it was so big that they had to fly it. Right. So the chain motors came into play and the PAR cans and everything was chromed, not just silver. Uh, everybody had to load in wearing white gloves. Oh, my God. All the stage hands, everybody that put the system together had to wear white gloves. So I remember watching uh, load-ins were these new things that came out of the ceiling and came down and picked up lighting trusses. So they were all chain motors. And that was the first time I'd ever seen them.
0: Probably everybody so kind of stood, stood back and went, Whoa,
2: what's that?
0: <laughs> you know, this is cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that it was pretty, uh, pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Pretty innovative technology at the time. At yeah. That time. Yeah. Yes. Well, and you think and of where so, we've gone now. Like, I, I, I keep remembering this, uh, this Mark Brickman design for uh, uh, Matchbox 20. When he went to a new motor system, and Henry, you might remember what it is. Not Stage Master, but the ones that moved really, really fast. And they had some kind of digital control for them or something. Um, but wow, anyways, what was
2: that like Kinesis?
0: I don't remember. That doesn't ring a bell. But it, it was Matchbox 20, like in the in the late 90s. And all of a sudden, you know, the truss was just going, womp, womp, moving really fast. And all these pods were forming new shapes and... Everything was just kind of like the whole top of the stage was just reshaping every song. And it was part of the show, how the truss was moving. Like, you know, it was just some ridiculous
1: climb rate, like 64 feet a minute or something. Yeah, I mean, it was
0: crazy fast, crazy fast and really, really accurate as well. So, yeah, anyways, I I digress. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, at at what point did your uh, fateful... John Wiseman meeting happen when uh, you know, or am I jumping too far ahead? Did I miss a whole part of your career here? But I'm assuming you met him, you know, through. His... I met
2: him out of the blue. So uh, let's go back to Chicago. Okay. And I'm working yep. for Upstaging.
0: Yep. And this is, uh, this, is during, this is during this uh, is during like Cheap Trick and stuff, right? For Upstaging.
2: Yes, that's, yes. Yeah. Uh, I just got done doing the Dream Police tour. Okay. Oh, wow. And there was some, there was, there was some downtime. Uh, and, uh, a friend of mine was his lead singer that went out to California and was with a band called Steel Breeze. Okay. Uh, so he had called me and said, we're not, do, we're not very big. And I said, I have all this time off. So why don't I come out to California? So the band Steel Breeze was basically uh, already in existence. And he called me up to come out and see if I wanted to uh, run lights for him. So I said, well, I'm not doing anything. I'll go out to California. Mm. So that's when the so band went was out still to
1: California. Cali- They were still playing clubs at that point, or some of the larger clubs. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Okay. That is correct. So, so John Wiseman called me up on the phone to make sure that I was, uh, I guess, somebody that that could help their band. So, yeah, you weren't just some, a some
0: dumb friend from school or something. You were actually well, somebody who knew what he was those. doing. No, but but you actually had <laughs> yeah. talent and experience and knowledge and things that, yeah.
2: Yes. So and So I talked to him on the phone, and I ended up flying in, and John was at the airport. So, uh, he picked me up and, uh, that's where I first met him. So he was the band manager at that time. Right. And, uh, John and I hit it off right off the bat. Um, as far as what I could do for his band, they didn't have any lighting in, in Sacramento. Uh, they had a company, Sacramento theatrical lighting, Yep. Which, uh, the first couple shows that I did with this band, uh, I had to use par 56s because nobody had par 64s. Huh. Uh, yes. most of the clubs in Sacramento had six inch Fernells or somebody's homemade, uh, lighting system with colored bulbs. Oh, Jesus. So, colored 100 watt bulbs. So, uh, I started using Sacramento theatrical and John Wiseman uh, met some friends, I guess, uh, who was a guy by the name of Dave Shepard, who was a banker at the time uh, and a friend of his that had lost an arm uh, during a water skiing accident uh, who had a bunch of money from a lawsuit. So they wanted to invest in a lighting system for this band. So I came up with a hundred par cans, uh, on Unistrut. So bars of six and multi-cable and EDI dimmers and all that fun stuff. And I hung it in every club that this band played. That's a massive rig so, for a club, though, Steve. That's huge. That's I mean, huge for a nine-foot ceiling club. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you put it all? <laughs> I, I, hey, I would poke holes in the ceilings and go up above and wrap beans and hang it in every club that they did, wherever they played. I would go in the night before when that bar band was done playing, I would go in and hang 100 pars in a rig, uh, uh, in a ceiling. So I did this for John, uh, for quite a few years. Uh, we did this and, um, it was pretty exciting actually back then because you could smoke the hell out of a club and you have a hundred one K pars at nine feet, just burning the shit out of, excuse me, <laughs> Burn, yeah, okay. burning the heck.
0: No, no, you can curse all <laughs> you want. It's all good.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I, I burnt the heck out of the band. So, and it got very, uh, what, what's the word the It was like wildfire because the band took off because of their show and their musical capabilities, but nobody had park hands at that time in Sacramento. So we did all over the Bay area. Uh, and John Wiseman, uh, uh, was a big part of that production at that time. Did you maintain? So was all. Did you maintain your
0: uh, your upstaging gig still, or or did you transition completely to to this thing?
2: I completely left upstaging at that. Oh, time okay, okay. Because this gig was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, well, you it know, kept you busy it was too, right? A lot right? of
2: fun. Yeah, it kept me busy. The money really wasn't there, but uh, the friendships were really good. Yeah. So plus it was something new. So um when I it, did that it, probably it appears to have worked out
0: for you too, you know. It appears to uh to have been something that you know really like I mean the thing about careers is most of us don't sit down with a pencil and go first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this and so a lot of it's luck and opportunity and you know having enough brains to to you know at least identify an opportunity or see that it's an opportunity and jump on it. But you know, luck definitely plays a role, you know?
2: I guess, uh, I guess it did because evidently I had some talent in, in a lighting console, you know, with operating it and making a show, uh, which was like the first time I ever ran a console because before I was just a lighting tech. Right. So falling, falling into that uh, with this band Steel Breeze and John Wiseman, I ended up uh, moving forward with Night Ranger, with David Davidian being the designer. Oh, my word. Uh, wow. I, I, I believe it was uh, 1983 that Steel Breeze uh, and the John Wiseman scenario with Steel Breeze They fell apart, um, and without John being part of Steel Breeze, uh, my aspect of their show, they started to go downhill, so I was looking to move forward. Right. So I got a call from Night Ranger, and David Davidian had designed a lighting system for them uh, in Japan. So I was offered a job to go to Japan with night ranger and take David Davidian's rig and make it work. Wow. So, uh, went over to Japan and I believe it was the first live concert from Japan with wow. night ranger at that time point. And that was I guess uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the record at that time. It wasn't Gone Patrol. Oh, it was Midnight Madness. So uh, I did that for Night Ranger for a while. Uh, did the Japanese thing, and then we started a tour in the U.S., and uh, I did that for a while. And then uh, still What's living the in Sacramento.
1: Go ahead. Steve, one question about the Night Ranger show. You know, obviously, you know, you're starting to get into the mid 80s here right now where, you know, there were starting to be introductions of special effects lighting. You know, obviously at that time, people were using disco nightclub effects even on some of the, some of the tours. And then of course, you're starting to see the beginning of the earlier moving lights at this point. Did Night Ranger have any of
2: that or were they still an all par rig? uh it was still an all par rig at wow. that time it was like three par trusses and a bunch of floor lights no ACLs so uh, well of course ACLs okay. you got to have ACLs in rock and roll yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah um it was still you know just uh either i don't even remember the console it might have been a CAE before it was rainbow uh, and then, uh, uh, I believe the company we used at that time period was Nocturne, oh. so that was like Bow out and all of that at that time period. So,
0: was Night Ranger huge was, yet? Were they, uh, was this pre or or during their heyday?
2: This was right when Sister Christian came out.
0: Oh, yeah, so. which they were climbing
2: springboarded night ranger into everyday. yeah rock and rolls you know i mean they. they that's when they got big yeah was at that time
0: yeah i lived in canada at the time and i remember i remember night ranger just kind of exploding at one point and i think it was right around you know uh sister christian and don't tell me you love me and you can still rock in America. And I don't know if those all came out at different times, but they just certainly got big that, and they were a hit that, machine for a little while.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, they were, they were huge. I enjoyed the heck out of it. You know,
0: Yeah. yeah. all
2: of a sudden you're with a very popular band, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I, I did that with night Ranger for, I believe about a year and you weren't I got married let yet. No, no. no, no, I was not. That wasn't even in the vocabulary. Yeah. at that time.
0: Yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough.
2: <laughs> um, so you
0: got let go. How'd that happen?
2: Uh, let's see. Journey uh, and Sammy Hagar, because of David Davidian, um, I guess Journey was not touring. And their LD at the time was good friends with management, who happened to be Kenny Mednick. Okay. Uh, Kenny Mednick, uh, was talking to management and I guess he worked his way in for the next tour for them. So since I was not as, a, as, a experienced as he was, and he was a bigger name that they went with Kenny. So for the, for the design. So I lost my job, uh, and I went back to Sacramento. Penny Mendick took over at that time for Night Ranger. Mm. So being let go, I had nowhere to go except back to Sacramento. And I started dealing with a company out of, uh, let's see here, where is that? Uh, Lodi. Oh, 3B. Stockton, uh-huh. Kevin Boone? No, that was, uh, Lights West, LD Lights West. Oh yeah. That's West, West. Leo Burke. Leo Burke. Yeah, Yeah. I remember Leo. So I went down, I went down and started helping Leo Burke with his systems and, uh, he and I got along very well, but he said that I needed to get my ass out there and in the real world of lighting instead of doing fairs, festivals, all this kind of stuff. I remember one time I actually lit a cow auction. (laughs) (laughs) Which which was, uh, which was nothing but a couple of park you know, and cows would walk up on the stage and sell for three quarters of a million dollars.
0: Oh my God.
2: (laughs) God. (laughs) Was was there any pyro involved at that point? I gotta know. No pyro. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, no pyro. That's for sure. (laughs) It would have been great. Yeah. Um, so, I ended up uh, going down to Los Angeles to try and work for some of the major lighting companies at that time, which were or let's see here. There was LSD. There was, uh,
0: gosh, LB's, what's the name LB's? of the company?
2: Oh, Obie's wasn't there yet oh. that I was familiar with. Oh. Um, I can't even remember, um, but. I did not get hired by anybody down there. So I ended up going back to Sacramento and working for a band called bourgeois tag, which was one of, uh, I guess, uh, Bill Graham's bands. And I met Jonathan Smeaton. Wow. And, uh, I started doing the Bay area, uh, lighting at that time. Uh, and I figured that because of very light, because they were out on the market and Genesis that I needed to get involved somehow with the automated lighting. I had to learn it because it was definitely a factor in stage lighting.
0: Well, that was so, a, that was a smart move seeing that coming, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was pretty phenomenal and people were starting to have it all over the place. Uh, if you're going to continue, you need to keep your chops, I guess, you know, yeah, and you need to know up, what's going on. Stay
0: up on technology for sure.
2: Yes, most definitely. Especially so, game
0: changing, disruptive technology like automated
2: lighting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was phenomenal when it first came out. That's for sure. Changed everything. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Mr. John Wiseman, getting back to John Wiseman Uh, John Wiseman uh, got offered a job down at very light. So he and I were still close friends and he went down to very light or Shoco and started working down there uh, for them. And I said, well, shit. I I said, I know those guys down at Shoco. So I told John to see if I could get my butt back down there and do this learning on all this new automated lighting. And case ra ra, I got hired. So John brought me down to Very Light and I was back working with some guys that I hadn't seen in about 8 years. Very cool. And uh, and learned the Very Light trade. So learned Steve, how just, to
1: uh, Steve. go ahead so bourgeois tag was a relatively short run for you i would imagine right because i'm looking at some some of the the biographical stuff on here he really only lasted a couple or that band only lasted a couple of years right and then so you transitioned yes. over to the showco and then of course your next lighting design gig right which is this is the first gig that you're actually lighting designer on correct and i'll let you well, mention the yes, band name, right? as
2: for myself yes Yep. Because, you know, r- running a show for David Davidian with Night Ranger, that's that's still working for an LD. So right. uh, my first designs came out in the middle of me working for Very Light. So, um, yeah, so let's see here. Psychedelic furs, right? Uh, psychedelic furs. Yeah. Well, what it was, was I was the crew chief on psychedelic furs for very light and their LD quit. (laughs) So, So since I did all of the work for psychedelic furs, set it up all that, uh, it just worked out to where I took over the show. So, at that time period you know hey i'll do this so i went out with the psychedelic furs as their lighting designer uh also working for Verilite. so it worked out well in my my case for that so
1: what console Um, are you on at this point are you on i uh, what what was the early verilite console of
2: that time at that time you had the model one console so it was Uh, 200, I think it was 239 cues, uh, no preset focus. So every day you'd have to focus every cue that you did through selective recall. Uh, so it was still a model. I mean, it was model one at that time period. It was all the, uh, remote control car parts. So, uh, basically (laughs) Um, the
1: predecessor to the, the artisan console, or is that the artisan that it eventually evolved into the artisan?
2: Uh, no, the model one console and the artisan were two different animals. Got it. So, uh, when they came out with the artisan, that's when, let's see here, pink Floyd momentary lapse of reason came out. So the model twos and the model three, very light, uh, were controlled by the artisan. So it was basically the board was done yeah the board was dumb and the lights were smart each one was its own pc at that time period
0: it's funny how much uh how such a creative company could lack creativity so much in naming their products so uh you know vl1 <laughs> model one model two what's our next one going to be called yeah. um 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 let's call it the model three <laughs> you know
2: <laughs> well i mean what they they made it all the way up to uh what the fives and the sixes uh, so Sevens, yeah all eights, of them are sense. just numbers did they do yeah. an eight yeah. there's no vla they eight. did an eight they did an eight. oh they did yeah. do an eight
0: yeah yeah you're right i remember it
2: yeah so back so, to the first yeah Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so well uh, let's see here so i did the furs for very light throughout that tour and then that tour was over and Uh, I'm still working for very light and I get a call from a friend of mine. Who's a bass player in a band called foreigner, which was Bruce Turgan at the time, who also happened to be a friend of the So Bruce Turgan is writing, uh, songs and playing with Lou Graham. So, what, what happened was I got to do a design for Lou Graham. That's awesome. And I got, to, yeah. And I also was still working for Verylight, light. So it worked out really well again for me that I would go out and do Lou Graham and then, uh, deal with very lights on that tour. So I did that and that proceeded me into the foreigner gig. So, Lou and uh, Mick got together and foreigner came back out and uh, let's see here at that time period, uh, since I became the designer for foreigner, I left very light Uh, because of budgets and the way things worked uh, it was, it came out to be a, it turned out to be an icon system. That they wanted to take out through LSD.
0: Yeah, that'd be a tough so, one to explain to your bosses back at Verilite as they're still sending you a paycheck, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So automatically the Verilite paycheck ended and uh, I went to work for Foreigner. Was Wiseman still LD, there? Wiseman was still at very
0: So that conversation couldn't have gone well because I know John doesn't like losing very much. Uh I'm sure oh, you know you that about that? him. <laughs> I, I'm sure you know that about him. So I can imagine the phone call, Steve. Uh you know, I just found something out here and uh Yeah, that couldn't have been well, uh It was uh
2: it it was fine because I didn't work for John. job. Right. So You know, I just had to explain it to other people. Right. So, uh, and in, in retrospect, it was a good move on my, on my part. Mm -hmm. Um, I got to learn a new system. The icon system was uh, quite innovative at that time. Uh, Their console was uh, superior to the uh, artisan. uh, And, the band was a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. So. When
0: well, you caught them right at the front end, the, too, right?
2: Yeah, it was the first Icon rig out.
0: No, but I mean so, the front end of Foreigner as well.
2: Uh, Well, let's say the the revisited yeah, Foreigner. The,
0: yeah, the new Foreigner, right.
2: Yes, yes. So Foreigner had already broken up and all that prior. Right, right. And then they were coming back. So, yeah, so it was... Uh, It was interesting. The icons were great. Had a bunch of great guys to work with. Um, Ended up being on the Foreigner tour. I ended up uh, taking over production, managing also for Foreigner uh, during that time period. And we were over in Japan. And, oh, before that, I should say, with Foreigner, the Doobie Brothers were the opening act.
1: So weren't the Doobie Brothers? Another, I mean, the Doobie Brothers were huge before the Foreigner,
2: right? Yes, yes, they were really big. But I, I'd only heard their music, and I didn't know anybody. So let's see here. They ended up being the opening act on the tour of ninety I believe it was ninety-four, ninety-five, and Foreigner Doobie Brothers uh did a co-headline tour together. Um we had hired a LSD guy because of the icon rig, uh to run Doobie Brothers, because I could not, when I was with Foreigner, run Doobie Brothers. So we hired a guy who run the show for doobies and since uh, how to put this since I had already worked, sorry, that's my dog. No worries. <laughs> so since uh, since I'd already worked for a management company with night ranger, which was Bruce Cohen at that time, he is the manager for doobie brothers. So he came out to watch some of the shows that foreigner and doobies were doing and he did not like their lighting guy uh that lsd had stuck out there with him uh so he and i had conversations foreigner had conversations so it ended up i took over the doobie brothers part of the show also so i did get to mix both bands
0: just just to pause for a second so what would you say is like let's say there's a bunch of you know 21-year-old lighting guys and girls listening right now who are thinking well how does this guy keep getting the call either from management or from the band themselves to come in and fix other people's messes or to take over or whatever how does he keep getting the call and so what would you say are like a couple of positive attributes that put you in a position to always get that call. And I mean, I know it's easy to just say, Oh, I do a good job or my designs are always the greatest. Or, I mean, there's gotta be something that's making them trust you to a point where they're calling you up to come in and fix a problem. Right?
2: Yes. And that's pretty much what it was. Um, I mean, you, you have to, uh, like, like you said, you have to be versatile, you know, you have to be able to, uh, not have your head up your ass. Yeah. Uh, you have to, you know, because cockiness won't do it. You have to be willing to work for, uh, for what other people want you to work for. Not meaning financially, but you have to be able to get along with everybody. You have to become friends. You have to, uh, just basically give them what they want.
0: Don't be a dickhead. Not,
2: uh, yeah. yeah, don't be a dick. Yeah, don't so, be a dickhead is much, the short version, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, I fell right into it, you know, so I was just one of those guys that got along with everybody. So, and it worked out in my favor. Yeah. So, so one question about the
1: icon lighting console. And I mean, I remember seeing the icon for the first Really having experience with it when I went to work for high-end systems in 1996 right and I right know, obviously icon console was really the first really developed automated lighting console with advanced features I mean there were people that were trained on that console that would use nothing else but that console right so yes. you know, can you describe a little bit about the uptake on that how it how it laid out because I, I think you know it was a popular console probably until the Hog Two came out, you know, and then there was kind of a transition over to that. But can you describe a little bit about what it was like working on that console, you know, conceptually versus you know versus coming off of obviously an analog lighting desk or some of these other things that are coming, you know, right. That are in the business.
2: Well, when I when I when I first started on that Icon, uh, I went out to LSD and did two days training before I had to start programming. Uh, the foreigner rig. Uh, the icon desk was very difficult for me to get my head around in a way of programming because it did so much more than what the artisan console did. Right. It was a whole other way of thinking. Any any fader could be anything. Uh, they had, you know, it, it was just one of those consoles that, uh, that once you figured out how to make it work for you, it was awesome. I remember having all kinds of trouble trying to figure out how to make it work uh, because I did not really have a trainer on that console. I had to learn it myself. So um, I remember having, uh, you could, you could put your song list or your set list, whatever you want to call it, you could put it up top and push a button for that song, and it would automatically go there. So it was just one of those, uh, I guess... uh,
1: Go ahead. So conceptually, I mean, this was really... uh, The Hog 2, when that came out, the Hog 1 short-lived, and then the Hog 2 that came out, this was really... The thing that sort of kicked it off in that direction, right, of being having assignable faders and things like that. That, that the Icon was really the first, and then obviously other companies took over the production of it, and ultimately the Hog Two was the, I guess, the best iteration of the Icon. Would you say that?
2: I, I, I would, yes, because the Icon was the first desk you could do anything that you wanted to any fader. So, and then you know, of course, Hog Two. Uh, that was a whole nother learning curve, but it was a great console. I don't know why people keep moving on with consoles because <laughs> once right. you learn one, now you got to learn another one. But, um,
0: and they just keep uh, getting more challenging. Don't they,
2: <laughs> they do, Yeah, they do, especially today. You know,
0: we were, uh, uh, uh were you at LDI?
2: I was not, I have not been there in about five years. I've been working, Yeah. I've been sick, all that fun stuff. So
0: yeah, well this year I like, usually I'd say, wow, you didn't miss much, but this year was actually, we just talked about it on the intro, but it was a a tremendous year for new product, new technology, et cetera. And, um, but one of the things was AVO had a quote secret showing of their new console and you know it kind of looks a little bit like a a grand ma3 on steroids you know it's just like a wild space age looking you know piece of equipment um but you know it looks complicated as hell too (laughs) you know like i mean it's just not what it used to be you know you're talking completely different languages now
2: Uh, yeah i could i could see that and i'm I'm already shaking a little bit because who knows when I'll have to use one of those. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, the learning curve.
0: Yeah. But even, you know, another thing we talked about on the intro is, is MA is about to launch, uh, fully their, their software, the, uh, MA three software in the next week or so. And, um, so, you know, there's going to be a massive learning curve on that because some of the new technology and features they're introducing into this new one is, is pretty tremendous. And people are going to want to use it. So that means you got to learn it. So
2: that's right. Yeah. Which is, or you get stuck in my shoes and you have to hire a programmer and hunt and peck. Yeah. uh, After the programmer leaves, you know. So uh, there's that. And that's how you end up learning the consoles now, too. Is hey, you're stuck out there on your own. You got to fix it now. So.
0: Didn't you start designing um, Journey at one point, too? So you went, uh, you know, you were doing Foreigner and Doobies on these. uh, They were doing these sort of annual um, tours, like co-headlining tours and stuff, right? And is that how Journey popped into that picture?
2: Uh, Let's see here. Well, actually, Journey was after, uh, after Foreigner, after Doobies uh let's see here. I ended up because of what happened with because of what happened with foreigner and Lou Graham uh ended up being ill, uh which broke up foreigner at that time period. Um, I ended up going to work for Leonard Skinnerd. so doing Leonard Skinnard and designing them, I did them for like thirteen years. And in between one year with Skinner journey, uh, Scotty Ross, uh, I believe that was her tour manager at the time. Uh, I got in with journey, um, because of some poison dates I did back with very light. Um, so I got offered to go out and do journey, uh, for a year. And then that, progressed into I guess several years right um yeah so I mean all the bands that I've done there's uh there's a link between all the bands through all the people that you meet when you're on the road right so you go from one to another to another and it's either the tour manager the lighting company somebody like that just puts you right back out well, and like so. we were just
0: talking about, if you if you're treating people right and you're and you're doing a good job and you're trustworthy and um and you're not a dickhead, you know you keep getting yeah. the calls because you're yeah. reliable. Basically, they know that they can call Steve Owens and and it's going to be, you know, it's going to get done right. You know, and it's not going to be yeah. a lot of drama for them.
2: Right. That's right. Make transitions easy. So. Yeah. Yeah, so anyway, uh the journey thing fell into play about two thousand two. So and I did that for a year, or actually a little longer than a year. Um and then Skinner was going back out and they were doing a big thirtieth anniversary tour, so I left left Journey to go back with Skinner and continued that for like I said, I think 13 years uh, and picked up other accounts along the way with, with the uh, Skinner dates. I mean, I was doing REO Speedwagon for years uh, and all of this fell into play just because of, I guess, people that we, you know, we interface with. Yeah. So.
0: Well, but it almost, it almost looks like you're a genius because you know, you're, you're working with all these bands that are perennial workers and they're always selling out venues you know like again there's a list of of about 10 like quote 80s bands you know foreigner journey uh def leopard you, you know sticks mm-hmm. sticks these bands are going out every year and playing to sold out shows all summer and um you seem to be getting you know your share of those bands right and it's not like you're yeah. hooking up with, like, a rat or somebody who's going out and doing, you know, empty venues or playing at, you know, like the Spinal Tap thing puppet show, you know, also featuring rat, <laughs> you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, it looks like either you pick well or, or or you've been very fortunate to have been picked by the right ones, right?
2: Yeah. Well, uh, yes. Yeah. Like, I have no idea why I keep getting these gigs, but hey, I'll accept it.
0: Yeah. And so I, I you have know? a question about Foreigner. So were you with them when they transitioned basically into, for lack of a better word, a cover band where there were no original no. members anymore?
2: No. The, the, when I left Foreigner, Lou Graham had his uh, medical issue, which we all know now, which was a brain tumor. Right. Um, and Foreigner broke up at that time period. Uh, so the, the new foreigner, I haven't even seen. Yeah. So, and so I know nothing about what they're doing these days. I mean, so they sound, know they sound
0: amazing. The singer is great. You know, he's from an eighties band called hurricane, but he sounds uh-huh. like Lou Graham at, at his best. You know what I mean? Like they sound amazing, but there's a lot of amazing cover bands. You know what I mean? So it's, right. it's kind of a bizarre thing. Like I, I, uh, I applaud them for being able to pull it off. Um, I wonder, I wonder how many other bands could.
2: I know they have a great lighting designer. So, yeah. And, 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 and I believe at that time when they first got back together or not back together, but as they became foreigner, I, I believe that Cosmo was doing
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. I think he was. I think you're right.
2: So, and Cosmo and I are friends from years and years ago, you know,
0: and, uh, and we Cosmo, all, we
2: all grew up in the business.
0: Cosmo now has the penultimate gig, you know, the yeah, the house gig in Vegas with Aerosmith. I mean, that how do you do better than that? You know,
2: uh, I don't think you can't. Well, you do ACDC before it. Yeah,
0: but, yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? Know, but he had to tour. You know, now he sits in yeah. his cushy house or or room or whatever. I don't know if he lives in Vegas or or just stays there, but you know, it's it's a house gig. It's it's perfect.
2: Yeah, so that is the perfect a perfect gig. Yeah.
1: So on to Leonard Skinner for a second, you know, I'm looking at the, you know, the dates that you were with them 2000 to 2012 and this is I guess, you know, Leonard Skinner and the remaining band members who were alive at yes. that point. They, you know, you started going into different venues, right? Because I know that, you know, there's the Leonard Skinner Cruise and the Leonard Skinner Residency in Reno and the let, you know, and then there's the tours you know, that go out, right? I'm sure you were present for just tons of those things, including the cruises, correct? Yes. That is correct. Yes. So what was your most challenging, you know, obviously transitioning, you know, especially getting onto a cruise ship, transitioning between venues. What did you think was your, you know, what's the most challenging, uh, I guess venue you can go into kind of blind and getting up and running a show. Is it a cruise ship or what is Uh, it?
2: uh, Yeah. Uh, In my opinion, yes, cruise ships are the worst. Not the worst, uh, but it's the most challenging for sure because you don't get to bring anything in, you know, as far as production-wise. The band brings their gear in, and you have to figure out their systems uh, to get out of them what you want, and it's very difficult to do that in a very small stage, uh... In motion sickness and all that,
0: <laughs> and you're you're probably not if, even bringing a show disc at that point. You're just making something up, right?
2: A, a show disc doesn't work. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. So, so, because the animals are all different, cloning won't matter because all, they don't have the fixtures. I won't say they don't have the fixtures. They don't have the amount of fixtures that right. you've programmed for the hits. Yeah. So you have to go in bare bones and just. Reprogram,
0: wing it. Are you
1: bringing in your own yep. console at that point, or are they, I think most of the cruise ships are MA uh, consoles these days, right? But are you bringing in your own console at least? No,
2: I was not. And at that time point, uh, Skinner would be doing sheds, so we would have our full touring system, and then I'd have to go directly over to a cruise ship and start from scratch on their console. And then we would go back out and go do a casino run to where we would not have the amount of production that we had on the shed tour. So, I mean, you have to be versatile, you know, you have to be open because things change overnight. Right. Uh, in the way of what you have to
1: deal with. So down and dirty when you do a Leonard Skinner, are there 12 or 16 main looks and then you're just filling everything else in by punching, you know, buttons and momentary flashes and things? Is that how you're doing it? Uh,
2: for the most part, you know, you would have uh, your cue lists uh, that you would run. And then, of course, everything else is just accents over the top. So, Well, fortunate, much, fortunately,
0: uh, Freebird's like one cue for about 27 <laughs> minutes, right? So you can go take a break, go to the bathroom, you know, grab a coffee. Hit the buffet. Yeah, hit the buffet. Go, go hit catering for a bit.
2: Uh huh. Go, yeah. go that's, sign that's some autographs.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's funny.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I sure do miss those guys, and I wish them all the best. They're a bunch of great people. They so. were actually
0: here in uh, in Palm Beach uh, or Fort Lauderdale, sorry, last weekend. Somebody called and asked me if I wanted to go, and I was busy. Uh, I don't know whether that's fortunately or unfortunately, but uh, I don't even know who's left. Like, but I think this uh, is their Gary, final tour.
2: Uh, yeah, well, they said that a year ago. Yeah. So um, I believe there's dates into next year for them. Oh. So I know, I know Gary Rosington is still there. Of course, he's the only original okay. besides Ricky Metlock. Now Ricky was the drummer of the band back on the first record. So, and Ricky is playing guitar with them now. So, I guess he's original. Um, uh, everybody else, you know, the, you got you got uh, Johnny Van Zant, all the other guys. They're a bunch of wonderful people. You know, they're pretty much related all into the band. So, at one point or another. So, mm. um, so. And speaking of that, I will be down in Palm Beach, I believe, in June. With who? So, uh, with the Doobie Brothers and Michael McDonald. Cool. Cool. Awesome. So, so yeah, so we'll be doing rehearsals out there at the fairground.
0: Oh, fun. uh, I I live about two miles away from the fairground, so I'll have to pop over and say hi when you're here.
2: Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah. So Steve, you've also well,
1: done, you know, just to kind of transition stuff. Cause I mean, God, your resume is giant here. Right. But you know, one of the topics we talked about, uh, at LDI was, you know, the transition between doing concert touring and doing, you know, lighting and video designs and how much that differs. And then of course, also you've done some content and I want to, want you to elaborate on when you say media content designs, how that all evolved. But can you give some of the listeners some insight as to how it differs from, you know, doing fair dates and cruise ships and everything else to now doing television and video designs? How does that differ? You know, how are you, how are you changing the way you program things like that?
2: Uh, let's see here. How do I transition into that? Let's see. I guess uh, with television and uh, with the cameras, Uh, that they have today, uh, fortunately for the lighting end of things, the, uh, how do I say it? The cameras are much better. They pick up better colors. They, uh, they're HD, uh, as far as your lighting designs go, you just have to make sure that they are lit for the camera. I don't use as much color. Uh, I don't use as much color in follow spots. I'm pretty much just using uh, color correction for that and letting the cameras read off, off the artists off their color corrections. Um, as far as accents and stuff uh, hits and punches, that doesn't change. Um, media, the media designs. Uh, I was fortunate with Skinner d- uh, to have a, a co-worker, uh, Steve Fallon, uh, who came up with a lot of the content that I used on Skinnard. So we would go into his studio and uh, sit down and start talking about each song and what we wanted to see differently in each song, and we would start building content per song. So I don't know how I go from one to another. It's just, uh, it's, I guess it's, yeah, I mean, what, but at some point what you, you have to protect
1: the integrity of a show into what you're doing, right? Because you, it, it's now different. You know, again, fair dates, you, obviously, you know, you're you're pushing up a bunch of handles and you're going on, on cues and things like that. But, you know, television is its own dynamic. And so is the content that rolls on television, right?
2: Yeah, you know, television today, uh, let's say with some of the shows that are out there, they're phenomenal. You know? The lighting designs behind some of these TV shows are just incredible. And, and unfortunately, or fortunately, I have not been uh, a part of some of this television stuff. I did uh, most of my TV stuff uh, was more live shows for television. So I would just have to make sure that the artists were lit. Well, not to double up on your spots, the normal, normal stuff and, and it comes out looking great. So Steve, if you get a chance,
0: that's, we, we recorded a podcast about a week ago with, uh, with Jeff Rabbits, um Bob Barnhart, Bob Barnhart. and, uh, and uh, Tiffany, what's Tiffany's last name?
1: Spicer keys.
0: Yeah. Tiffany Spicer keys. Yeah. And, oh. you know, obviously three people who are doing it. Tiffany's doing all the, uh, I iHeart radio stuff for TV. And okay. uh, of course, Jeff Ravitz, you know, and, and uh, Bob uh, yeah. Barnhart, who's done 21 Super Bowls, not to mention, you know, all kinds of other things. So just we learned a ton of stuff in an hour or an hour and a half about how they're doing things differently for television and what they're correcting to and all kinds of, you know, challenges and, and just you know sort of ways of doing things but it it'd be you know an interesting listen for an hour if you if you've got some time to kill while you're walking your dog one day
2: yeah there you go i would love to do that yeah i'd love to hear go. what their insights are and what they're doing
0: yeah we'll we'll shoot you a link to that podcast so you can uh you can check it out
2: so uh yeah what's on the doobie
1: brothers these these days what's your lighting rig made out of what console are you using <laughs> what's your favorite <laughs> fixture these days
2: uh, I don't have a favorite fixture.
1: Good answer.
2: Uh, my favorite fixture. <laughs> my favorite fixture is what do I have to deal with today? Yeah. So, the, or who's paying Doobies- me? <laughs> yeah. Who's who's oh, signing good. my
0: paycheck? You know, that's my favorite fixture right there. Yeah.
2: yeah, you got that right. What's your favorite band? Well, you know, who's paying <laughs> yeah, me? So, yeah. So, you know, it's it's the Doobie Brothers have been in a position since I've been back with them. Uh, to be an awesome band. The guys are phenomenal musicians, and they get put in the position of being an opening act. So they'll play an hour, hour 15 in front of, let's say, Steely Dan or Journey. So I go into an already pre-designed system for the headliner, and I'm given the time to program a show for the Doobies on their consoles. Uh, when they are not doing an opening acquisition, they are playing. They're on a casino run, or um, or smaller venues. Uh, they do sell out almost everywhere they go. But we do not have Michael McDonald with us. Right now, this year, this year is their fiftieth anniversary. So wow, wow they, I'm have, old. they have. They <laughs> have. Because yeah. yeah, I right. remember Aren't them all? in their early days, you know. Uh huh. I yeah. remember going to grade school listening to them on my radio I carried. Me too. On the AM yeah. radio. Me so, too. but this year, like I said, they got Michael McDonald back. So first time in how long is a, that? Like when was the last uh, time
0: he toured with them?
2: Toured with them, I have to say, probably after his run with the Doobies. I mean, he's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a very long time. He'll go out and do some shows with the Doobies, uh, meaning one-offs, mm. and, and do a show here, a show there. Uh, I remember in '97 that Skin, uh, the Doobies opened for Skinner, and Michael was on seven of those shows. Oh, uh, but I can't remember when Michael was. Wow. Uh, back so this is a big with deal. With the Doobie Brothers. Yeah,
0: this is a this big This is a huge deal. Yeah. Uh,
2: I do know that there's a, a lot more dates added than yeah. uh, the initial stretch of dates. Was and this,
0: this is arenas put, and, put and sheds?
2: Yes, arenas and sheds.
0: And they're the headliner, right?
2: So they are the headliner.
0: Cool. Very cool.
2: So, I, so I've got my pen out and my uh, crayons <laughs> and my uh, and my napkins yeah yeah <laughs> to come back up with another system that they'll be uh they'll be happy with so that's awesome looking forward to this summer yeah
0: yeah so it you actually rehearsals are in down here in palm beach
2: uh we have three days in palm beach okay so that will be the start of the tour
0: and what's what's that date? Because I'm actually going to put it in my calendar and I am going to call you and, and just uh, pop over and make say hi. I'm
2: look. So give me a second here. I uh, know uh, it's June. So give me a second here to pop it up. Sorry.
0: I could have done this uh, after right. the fact as opposed to right in the <laughs> middle of our podcast, right, Henry? <laughs> yeah, Henry, right. tell us a good joke yeah. or something while he's there looking. There you go. Start tap dancing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: All right, I'm working on it, guys. I'm working we'll, on we'll it. We'll
0: just—I'll follow up with you after. It's no big deal. I'll, right. sh- I'll shoot you an email and remind you, and and then I'll put it in my calendar just to make sure I'm I'm uh, I, I reach out to you before, and I'll come over and say hello.
1: So, Steve, circling way back to one topic, and it was a question that I wanted to ask, and we kind of got into the touring thing a little bit. At some point, you lived with John Wiseman, right? You lived with him for a while, or are you oh God. in his his house in Bora? Right? Um, no, never. Never. <laughs> Yes. okay
2: yeah i did yes i did
1: okay and so um, any memorable mentionable <laughs> which you can mention on these podcast uh stories that were notable funny
2: anything like that
0: well let me well, think let me was, let me prompt that for you because uh we had mickey kirbishley on and and uh he told a story about uh when he went over to australia to interview with john to work for Verilite. And uh, they went scuba diving, and they were completely wasted. And so they're, mm-hmm. they're diving, they're underwater, and John pukes in his, uh, in his breathing apparatus. So he pulls it out of his mouth, and all this puke is coming out. So all these fish come swimming, and they're eating it. And so, so John and Mickey freak out and they're like, Oh, we got to get back to the surface. So they stand up and they're in like waist high water. <laughs> they're right next to the beach and all these horrified kids are looking at him like, what the heck? <laughs> mommy, mommy, <laughs>
2: look at those freaky
0: dudes. So yeah,
2: I think that anything I have to say about John being as close of a friend as he is, yeah, is probably true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I just have to. I just have to pick out which story to tell you. <laughs> so pick a good and one. I, and, uh, look, well, I mean, I've known John forever. I I moved down to Dallas and started to live with him when he had his one bedroom apartment, uh, and we went from there. John was such a good friend. I ended up. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding. And this is the first wedding. Um, and he actually ended up being the best man at my second wedding.
0: <laughs> so, wow, wow.
2: Um, so that's pretty good right there. So he was the double time there. I'm trying to think of a particular incident. So, so j- there was this incident where John uh, came home one day. Uh, this is when we were living in an apartment in Dallas. Uh, came home one night from, I think it was New York, and being gone on the road uh, doing what he did. Uh, was pretty inebriated. So I'm sitting <laughs> in the apartment. He comes into the apartment from the airport, and he's got this guy, the cab driver, carrying his bag <laughs> and kicking him in the butt as he's walking through the living room. So he's got the cab guy, and he's kicking him in the butt, saying, come on, no, put the, put the bag over here. So when the cab driver left, John was looking for something to do. And he picked me up and he was twirling me over his head (laughs) in the living room. Now, and I'm going, what is all this about? And he's just twirling, twirling around and around. Another friend of ours at the time, uh, Lauren Haas was driving by because he lived in the same apartment complex. And he was driving by, and he looked up in our window, and he saw John twirling me over his head. <laughs> and it was just just another day in the life of Steve yeah. Owens and John. Yeah, but so, why? Why? <laughs> like, did you ever get a why? <laughs> why are you doing well, this? John put me down. If you, if you knew John back then, you don't yeah. ask. Why.
0: Yeah, he was crazy. He <laughs> was out of his mind.
2: Yeah, <laughs> he, yeah we well. Yeah. There were several of us that were just yeah. out of our mind. You yeah. Know? Well, I mean, and I the, remember
0: another. and the amazing thing is go, though, y'all survived or, you know, at least you, the ones that we're talking about right now, most yeah, of us survived. Yeah, right? right.
2: So yes. that's the good news. We're very fortunate. Yeah. We are very fortunate. I remember one time with John, uh, it's when he was, uh, working at very light and so was I, uh, he was on his way to work one day going down to the, to Barrylight, he had a rental BMW because I had re- wrecked his M5. M5. <laughs> so he had a, <laughs> so he had, he, I had wrecked his M5, and he had a rental. But he was on his way to work one day down at Barrylight, and it was early in the morning before most people go to work, and he ended up losing control of the BMW, the rental, and spinning out the rental. Oh. And ended up on his roof of the rental car, so the, it had flipped in the median. So all the people from Berry Light are going to work, and here is John upside down in the median as everybody's passing by, and he's just waving to everybody. You know, it's just one of those situations.
0: Oh my God!
2: Uh, that, that's a pretty good story there too. So that let's not a... talk anymore about mm-hmm. spinning around. Playing yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: well, I mean, let's face so, it. You, you know, you could sit and tell debauchery stories of John and, and others certainly in the industry. He's others, not the only yeah. one, but uh, John just has so many stories. And one of the great things about John is, you know, he like he we have a podcast of john by the way which i can also send you that link but it was amazing it was one of the probably the best one we've ever done because john is just I so honest it. i mean he just he tells all you know what i mean he's not embarrassed he's not shy uh certainly not shy john but yeah. you know i mean and he's doing it not not because he's bragging but because he wants to help somebody hopefully you know, understand what he went through and, and how he went through and why he went through and all that stuff, but maybe you won't make the same mistakes and you'll take an easier route through life than than what he did. And he had a lot of fun he, but saved, he saved my ass. Yeah, good. He saved a so, lot of
2: people, I think. You know? Yeah. He did. I mean I've I just went over uh twelve years myself. Good so, for you, man.
0: Congratulations. Sober. So, Congratulations. Yeah.
2: That's what's keeping us alive. Absolutely. Literally, you know? Yes. Literally. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. So.
0: So what, uh, other than the doobies, what are you doing right now?
2: Uh, Let's see here. I am uh, dealing with a gentleman over at Yamaha that uh, we are talking about me going into Nam and dealing with their main stage. Uh, So I'll be out at Nam doing... Some stuff, uh, some lighting design for them and running their, uh, what is it? Three nights of entertainment. That's And yeah, that's something there. Uh, And then I have more Doobie Brothers work. We have a residency in in, uh, Las Vegas for three weeks at the Venetian. Oh, that's nice. Really cool. And that is before Michael joins back up. So I've got that going on. And then, of course, I've got to put together the summer tour for, for the Doobies. So, that's what I am doing at the moment. So one of the one so. of the questions
0: we love to ask people is uh, what what's missing in the world of gear? If you uh, if you could you know wave your magic wand at the inventors out there and the smart people, what would you have them create?
2: How about a parcan? <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's interesting.
2: Do you like you that? Elaborate because on that a little I mean, bit?
0: That's a good one. Uh,
2: well, you know, they just, I mean, that is one of the key, uh, that's, I love park I grew up with them. I yeah. think they're great. And now there is no more park Yeah. You know, they stopped making the bulbs. They've, they've stopped making the cans. So that in itself is, is, is. Really hurts me because I grew up with them. So, uh, when you say a park hand, tech-
0: you're really talking about an old school, you know, uh, old
2: school park hand,
0: yeah, an old school park hand. I, so, it can't be LED, it can't be wireless, it can't be some space age new, lighter, stronger material. You're talking an old school you know, park hand,
2: yep. Let's bring uh, you know, I'm an old school guy, <laughs> I mean, beam projectors, ACLs, yeah, all the new technology is wonderful, it's great. Uh, I don't have uh, the opportunity to uh, see a lot of new stuff out there, uh, in use. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, with the way technology is going, I'm just in awe every day of the fixtures that I'm seeing and what they can do. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's anything I say that again.
1: They have revamped a lot of the old school fixtures, beam projectors and things like that with really bright LED light engines or the beast that SGM just brought out is almost like a parabolic or a beam reflector with an LED light engine and a giant frickin strobe light in it, right? So, yeah. it is, so what you say is actually true, there's some wisdom there is where the old effects that kind of people miss and designers have been around for a long time have been rehashed in some pretty interesting ways, you
2: know? Yes, that's that's very true. Yep. Now it's not what you got; it's how you use it. Yeah. Right. So, I come from a, a a guy when I went to work for Very Light, I like seeing Very Lights, but I never moved them in the beginning of the shows. You know, I would move them in black, so that way your show doesn't get, uh, God, what's the word for it? It won't get cluttered with nothing but moving and blinking. Yeah. So, you know... Um, well,
0: and the funny thing is that was me- actually, that was how the fixture was originally designed. It was, it was meant to move in black. It was just a repositionable light. It wasn't supposed to be an effect, right? And, right. And it was yep. just by accident. In, uh they were doing some programming and testing and stuff, uh, as the story I heard was told anyways, um, in their shop at Shoko And somebody goes, wait a second do that again. And he goes, what that, that thing that you just did? Oh no, that was a mistake. I'm sorry. No, 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 do it again. That, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, hence we end up with
2: moving lights as effects now. So. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was a great mistake. Everything yeah. is, everything that is really cool is a mistake.
0: Certainly is. So, certainly is. you
2: know, um, the, the, like I said today, the technology is just, uh, I just can't wait to see what else is, is coming up. Yeah. Pretty soon they're going to have bending lights. Yeah. You know, so bending light beams, but, um, I, I'm just one that, uh, just can't wait to see what's coming up yeah I, I, well you I gotta take know, the time you know? and get
0: out to the shows you gotta you gotta i mean i'm not preaching to you or anything but you know certainly this ldi was again we've talked about it a bunch but it's one of the best there's been in a very very long time as far as you know people showing really cutting edge technology like not just an extra gobo or this one has a prism or this one has an iris but just really, really great packaging, some great new innovation. A lot of it is based now on efficiency and weight and truck pack and, you know, Instead stuff time, that's going to yeah. make a difference in your life, right? Make, make your yeah, job right. easier and better. So um, what, about, what about giving back? Do you do anything where you're mentoring younger guys on your crew or, you know, in local high schools or, or any charities that are close to you? Anything like that?
2: Uh, actually not, no. uh, I have been, no, I have not because okay. I have been sick over the years that, so, uh, I have, uh, one main issue and that is to make sure that I follow what my doctors tell me. Good. So,
0: good. Yeah. Um, let's keep, you know, let's keep I mean, Steve alive, you know? Yeah,
2: well, that, That would be nice. That's what I'm working on. Let's face it. None of your old,
0: none of your old eighties acts are dying. So that means you got to stay healthy for a while longer. So (laughs) (laughs)
2: yeah, so far so good. Yeah.
0: Good for you. Well, Steve, we, we appreciate you doing this very much. I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're definitely a guy who, you know, is looked up to in this industry and you've done a lot of really cool stuff. And so we appreciate you taking the time to do this. Um we'll send you out a link as soon as it's uploaded later today and uh and uh I'll get with you about connecting when you're here in Palm Beach as well.
2: That sounds excellent. Hey, thank you very much guys. Thanks thank a you, whole Steve. bunch. I do I I do appreciate
0: it. Awesome.